Hi again, and welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. This is your hosts, Phil, John, and Logan. It's episode number 65 today, and the topic of the day is kitchens, workshops, and submarines. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right. So sometimes the best podcast episodes happen when we're done filming for the day or in the middle of filming and we just start talking about a bunch of other stuff unrelated to it. And I think that's the case uh, here. So we're going to try and put lightning in a bottle and recreate what some of the things that we were just talking about. Um, so we're working on season 15 of the TV show. And this episode that we filmed this week was on shop organization. So we built two shop projects, a cleanup center and a clamp cart which got us thinking and talking about organization in general and the various theories that go along with it. In particular, corner cabinets and kitchens and how Phil believes they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're just not using them right. Right. So <laughs> one way to use them. <laughs> here's, here's where I'm going in that I don't think – I should say there's probably very few woodworkers that haven't at least contemplated building their own kitchen cabinets. Mm -hmm. And during the pandemic, when I've spent a lot of time in my kitchen, I've thought about it more and more because my kitchen in a house that was built in the 50s and remodeled somewhere after that. And the cabinets that are in there our home center awful. The boxes I think are like five eighths inch particle board or plywood or something like that. And the doors are partial overlay frame and panel made with red oak with almost zero regard for grain and color and all that kind of stuff. So in my in my woodworking fever dreams, I sometimes think of redoing at least the doors and the drawers. So this to set the stage. And then one of the things, because we were started talking about it, is I have a lower corner cabinet uh, that has kind of the pie-shaped Lazy Susan in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And I sort of detest that thing only because it turns into a catch-all. So it's almost like, you know, like let's not have any organization, just have doors that go into a big open cavity that runs around the whole outside of the, of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm partially persuaded in this by the fact uh, from Nancy Hiller, who's done an online ed class for us on making kitchen cabinets. And she has a book that came out last year called Kitchen Think. And in it, she also makes the case for really questioning the value of 
corner cabinets and lazy Susans and things like that. To the idea that she probably would recommend against it if I'm not putting words in her mouth too much. So, so I'd like to hear you guys, your take on that. Um, well, I redid our kitchen, uh, let's see, probably 12 years ago. And I did have that thought of, I was going to build my own kitchen cabinets. And luckily based on this cabinet that took me 14 years to build that we've talked about, <laughs> that was probably a good idea because, uh, kitchen remodel goes okay until that that last point when you take out the sink and you have to start washing the dishes in the bathtub with your <laughs> two-year-old toddler that gets pretty old pretty quick so you want to have those those cabinets ready to go back in once you tear them out so that's probably a good idea if you don't if you're not in the position to have your cabinets built ready to go in once you tear it out you probably shouldn't be building them yourself so that's good advice um, the other thing is, uh, we talked about the corner cabinets. Um, my kitchen is L shaped and I decided not to put a lazy Susan or one of those, you know, deep cabinets that like go back into the dead space. I just put, um, a standard cabinet or I have a sink base on one side of the corner and then a drawer base on the other. There's nothing that goes back. It's just dead in that corner. Just because like you said, stuff gets shoved back in there and you will never find it and never use it and never get to it. Um, so I just decided not to put anything in that corner. Um, on the upper cabinets, it, 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 um, it does have the one cabinet that goes back 12 inches behind the other cabinet. And even though it's only 12 inches deep back there, anything that's back there never gets used. It's just, I don't know. So where, where do you put all the stuff you don't use? Right, exactly. Just get rid of it. <laughs> so, no, but the, the so the one thing I did do to increase storage is um, our house was built in the 60s, so it had the soffit box above the upper cabinets for some reason. So I tore all that out. I made all the cabinets um, 12 inches taller. They go all the way to the ceiling, so I have that space. So the stuff that gets used left less is just up higher, but it's still visible. And you can get to it if you need it. So good thing you, yeah, good thing your wife's really tall, so she right. can reach all that stuff. No, that's why she keeps me around. It's like, can you put this away, or can you get this? So, yeah, so that's what I'm here for. But so I did that. Um, made all the cabinets taller. Um, all the base cabinets either have drawers or pullouts, or the pantry all has pullouts because if you have a 24 inch, inch uh, deep cabinet, you're just going to stack stuff in front of other stuff and to get to it, you're going to have to take, you know, that's the front stuff out to get to the back stuff. So it all has either pullouts or, or drawers in it. So that was the considerations that I made when I was remodeling to help with storage and just accessibility. So that's what I would recommend. Drawers and pullouts are more expensive because of the hardware and building, um, the extra the the drawer boxes or whatever but definitely worth the the extra expenditure if you're going to all that trouble right that's kind of what i was thinking and like i said i don't know that i would rebuild the whole cabinets the boxes themselves are functional 
and almost invisible to a certain extent because it's either the stuff that's in it that matters or whatever. So I had thought about, you know, painting the face frames, redoing the doors because they're the partial overlay and I just, it's personal, totally get it. Mm -hmm. It's just not my style. I would like to do inset doors and then, like you said, John, doing all drawers at the bottom, you know, not having base cabinets mm -hmm. other than maybe one for, you know, cookie sheets and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then replacing the lazy Susan on either side with wide drawers that went, you know, countertop down. Um, uh, but anyway, it, it, I think part of it also just when, where we connected it to the shop was uh, shop organization and storage. Like in a kitchen, I think there's a mentality of trying to maximize every possible cubic inch in your shop to store stuff like you would in a kitchen. And I don't know, I, personally, I think that's a false goal to chase after. It's like mm -hmm. building a router bit cabinet that holds 300 bits. Do you have 300 bits? Right. And do you use 300 bits or do you have seven and you use seven? <laughs> you know, cause I think we've right. all seen, uh, workshops, you know, I think if you did a poll of woodworkers, 90% of woodworkers would say that they have a small shop, even if they're currently working in an aircraft hangar. Yeah. Um, but you see a lot of, and especially in, you know, a lot of the shop books that have been out there and even online of people that just have drawers all over the place and, you know, wall cabinets that have all compartments for this, that, and the other thing. And I just wonder, is that really, really necessary? And maybe our goal should be a wide open space that you can do a bunch of stuff in rather than, you know, figuring out how much stuff you can cram into this space. I don't know. I mean, so thinking about my shop at home, I have pretty limited space. I mean, it's, it's a 14 by 24, right? So I got sure. 300 square feet, something like that. Um, and I, I guess this is twofold. Yeah, shop storage is like super important and be able to organize and keep stuff close to where it's needed. However, the bigger part of it, in my opinion, and this also kind of extends outside my shop into my kitchen, because um, we were talking about kitchen cabinets, is I pare down what I don't use. It's like if I don't use it for, you know, two, three, four projects, get rid of it. You know, quite obviously, I don't need it that badly. Now, mm -hmm. there are some specialty things like, um, I don't know, a chair scraper uh, or or something like that. That's like, okay, when I do a set of chairs, yeah, that will be beneficial to have. Um, but there's certain things. It's like, I don't need this finger locking glue joint router bit because I don't do that ever. So why do I have it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I don't it, decluttering your life um, and decluttering your shop, I guess. Uh, same thing in my kitchen. It's like, if I don't, I, 
my wife's terrible at this. She doesn't listen to this podcast. I have no fear of her listening and hearing this. But she buys kitchen gadgets a ton. And she uses them once or twice, and then they go away. I have, like, a Cuisinart ice cream maker we bought mm-hmm. six years ago. We've used it once. It needs to go away. Mm-hmm. Or the zucchini pasta maker. The zucchini sure. noodle maker. It's like, yep. we used it once. Like, it needs to go away. We don't use it. There's no reason to have it in a drawer. Do, so you, I use, think, do you have the uh, slap chop? Uh, no. We got rid of the slap chop. Uh, <laughs> my mom still has her slap chop, I think, and she still yeah. uses it. <laughs> cool. cool. And to be fair, it was a decent machine. Yeah. Uh, but um, I guess you're right, Phil, when I think you say that you're you're kind of chasing a false goal to have like to have excess storage like storage that goes wasted because you don't have stuff to store is pointless yeah you know so Mm -hmm. because i feel like it ends up just making your shop space even smaller like sure you can store a ton of stuff in it but now you really have no room to move around Mm -hmm. yeah or to work on projects yeah it's kind of like uh sometimes you just need to go through and all your tupperware and like what what are these lids go to we haven't had what this you know the the tupperware that this lid you know go through everything pare it down um kind of like you know you'll have router bases to routers you don't have anymore or cases <laughs> all the big plastic cases for yeah. tools that you never put in the case they just go on a sh- like go through all that, you know, get rid of the, the excess and then, and then, um, build storage around the stuff that you really, you know, use and make that accessible and, um, whatnot. But it's kind of like what I tell my wife. It's like the more stuff you buy, the more stuff you have to have you store. So you have the cost of not only purchasing something, but then the cost of the space that that takes up. So it's like, yeah, I bought all the stuff. Now I have to buy a bigger house to, to, you know, have the expense of, of a house or a bigger shop or when you could have, you know, fit it all in a smaller space and, you know, saved all the cost of all the, all the costs that are associated with owning stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like it's, there's an interesting parallelism here because I, I do the same thing with the some of the lumber that I cut. It's like I have the space outside to stack it. And yeah, I could sit here and stack all my lumber and let it air dry for two years and then sell it as air dried, ready to go lumber. But there's a certain amount of there, there's a certain price I put on not having all that lumber stacked. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if it's stacked, I got to sit there and look at it. I know it's there. And that's fine. It's there. It's in it's my, my lumber yard. But at the same time, it's like I could go ahead and just sell that lumber right now as green lumber, put a really good price on it so somebody's getting a heck of a deal. And they can stack it in their yard and they're getting a good price. They just have to finish drying it. And I'm gaining not only the money they're paying me for my lumber, but I'm also gaining that space back. Right. Um, so that's kind of been my approach recently on some of my lumber cutting. And then, I mean, it's the same approach I take to my shop. It's like, if I have a tool that I, in some moment of weakness bought 
an Ulma number five hand plane. And it's <laughs> sitting on my shelf. And it's like, you know what? That shelf holds one one number five plane, or it can hold all seven of my block planes. That's pretty valuable space, in my opinion. Might as well mm-hmm. get rid of one of those. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think people put enough. I don't think people put a high enough value on having the space or not having the clutter. Yeah. It's hard letting go. It is. And I think, you know, we've talked about it before. uh, I think mostly in relation to scrap wood and what do you do with, you know, pieces that you could use and, you know, woodworkers being opportunists in the sense of being able to see possibilities in different pieces of wood. But I think another area that's just as much of a pitfall, and we experience it probably in our home shops, but definitely on the set, like where John is, is hardware. Like we have 43,000 plastic bins around the shop, which honestly look really cool. However, you know, we have, endless bins of onesie twosie little items that while technically saving us money because we don't have to go out and buy it also requires 45 minutes of trying to discover where the number four by three eighths hinge screws are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you always end up buying like a, you know, you need, you need five hinges or four hinges for something, but they come in packs of three. It's like, mm-hmm. so you end up with two hinges left over. Like, I can use those on a project. I'll put them in this bin because I know that they're going to be in that bin. Then you don't remember where they're at when mm-hmm. the next project comes around. So, yeah. yeah. I yeah. I do the same thing with hardware. Um, because hardware, if you, buy, if you buy nice hardware, it's expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, now, nicer hardware you can usually buy in individual, you know, individual hinges or individual knobs or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's a great point because mm-hmm. yesterday filming, I was looking for a certain size screw and there's about 45 bins out there and you have to go through every bin and find where that screw is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw an interesting, um, thing probably on social media somewhere. It had to do with, uh, storage totes or whatever, where you could buy labels with QR codes on them. And then, so you'd have a phone app and anytime you put something in one of the totes, you scan your phone and you write the inventory on what's in that bin. And then if you're looking for it, you just search on your phone. It'll tell you exactly what bin it's in and, and, and where to find it. So that'd be an interesting thing to do for your shop. Maybe with hardware, like we have all the hardware drawers, but oh, you yeah. have to be pretty organized. We're we're good at just oh here we have one handle left over. I'm just gonna throw it in this drawer and you know, I think you'd have to be pretty organized to take the time to do the inventory and <laughs> and yeah. actually yeah. you know a thousand mystery more, boxes yeah. later they're really right. clean drawers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we just like throw, fill up the drawers until Chris gets mad and dumps it all and yeah. Then it's gone. <laughs> and then, then Phil and I go pick through all the leftover hardware in the garbage and we bring right. home stuff to our shop. Yep. Right. So, See, yep. and I think that's like, that's a great idea, John, but like you have to have the, 
motivation, I guess, to actually right. use it. Because I'm just picturing my shop like, it's like, oh, crap, I got a photographer coming over into my shop to do mm-hmm. photos. I got to quick clean this crap up. If I have QR codes, probably not taking the time right. to QR code scan everything back into right. its right bin. I'm just dumping it. You know, yeah. it's like it fits in that bin right now and it's going to live in there for the next six years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a job for the kids. Sort through the coffee yeah. cans, kids. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, I think you see this in the various woodworking magazines in the tips section. Like how many tips are devoted to cramming more stuff into your shop? Mm-hmm. You know, like using your floor <laughs> joists with little spacers to hold... 57 dowels or, you know, that kind of stuff. And they're really clever. I'll give Mm -hmm. people, you know, high creativity points for the things that we've seen. And I think there's a, I think everybody probably has a personal organizational style within them somewhere that works. But I don't think that means that you necessarily have to, you know, turn your workshop into a, into a high density storage unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of dowels and shop organization, um, we have two guinea pigs at our house. Um, you okay. guys know the listeners probably don't. And I clean their cage. Um, and we have a big ba- bag of the, the pine wood chips or whatever to change their bag out. And the last time, I was cleaning out their cage and dumping in new wood chips, a uh, probably eight inch section of three quarter inch dowel fell out of the wood chips. And I was like, was this in with the wood chips or did one of the kids put this in here or <laughs> do they chip up dowels to not, you know, it's all the to... rejects from the dowel factory. Right. right. And it was just, this got in there and I didn't know. So apparently I threw it back in the bag because the next time I, <laughs> Out the guinea pig cage, that section of dowel fell back out into the into the cage, putting in new wood chips, and it's like, hmm, I wonder where this came from. Same thought, and I threw it back in the bag. Uh, so, if you guys you know ever need a short short section of dowel, I know exactly where it's at. <laughs> so, guinea pig bedding. Yeah, it's just gonna keep going back into that bedding bag until that's gone, oh. and then. I don't know. Maybe I'll throw it away. Maybe I'll save it. Who knows? But right. it's just it's a question. Where is it coming from? Uh-huh. I don't know. Where were we? What were you talking about now? I, 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 like, I, did we just end there? I don't know. I think we're done. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, man. So I think another thing that uh, reminds me of this, at least personally, is uh, I come from Wisconsin and on display on the Lake Michigan side of Wisconsin is a World War II submarine, the USS Cobia. And it's representative of, uh, people may not realize this, but Wisconsin actually has a pretty strong shipbuilding history and continues to build military ships as well as pleasure boats and stuff like that. Uh, But I've toured the, the Cobia on several occasions and, you know, World War II submarines are not what you call spacious vessels. Mm -hmm. They're claustrophobic. They're a little claustrophobic. But one thing that's kind of interesting is to see how 
those ships were designed to be super efficient in what they did. You know, stuff is packed in there, but I think packed in in the sense that they went on a minimalist route, you know, in terms of like crew quarters or, the, you know, some of the working areas of the ship, like the kitchen, you know, that's it's cut down to the barest rather than trying to be crammed to the gills, if that makes sense, which I, mm -hmm. and I've, and I've tried to think of that in terms of my workshop, just because of how it's arranged. It's a long, narrow space. And how can I open up that space as much as possible and keep what I need? Um, you know, so like I have a, I did a video for our YouTube channel on my tool chest to, you know, keep all my hand tools in it and my power tools. And that's kind of like, this is where they live. If it doesn't fit in there, something needs to go or I need to reorganize, you know, to make space for it. Um, I have another hardware cart where it's the same thing that admittedly uh, it's relatively small, but it can still get filled up with, you know, the odd little bits of things that I thought I could use, but maybe just need to get passed on to somebody else who will use them or recycled. So I'd be curious to know how some of our listeners or viewers of the podcast organize stuff in their shop. You know, what's the, what's your strategy? Are you the kind of person that likes to have all the hardware so that you don't have to run out and get it in the middle of a project or before a project or whatever, or, you know, do you pare it down, cut it back to what, you know, you're currently working on. And I think the same thing applies to lumber storage. You know, do you, just get materials in for your current project and maybe your next one. And then at the end of projects, you kind of do a shop clean out burn day where you just get rid of stuff. Cause I know there are people who do that and I've kind of probably secretly admired them or been a little jealous cause I sometimes can't do that, but. Yeah. You know, I, <sighs> some of some of my philosophy i guess has kind of been around or kind of stemmed from uh the the print shop that i managed when i took it over I, I went through and we cleared out a ton of stuff i mean there was stuff in there that had just been stored for you know 40 years like 40 year old pallets of paper it's like <laughs> you know, why i mean everything just runs so much more clean and organized um, when you have a limited inventory and I mean, quite, I, I would call my shop an inventory, right? It's my inventory. Right. It's what I have. Um, and stuff can uh, quite often runs a lot smoother and more efficiently if it's a clean, uh, trimmed down inventory. So, you know, uh, I like, I like that mentality of saying, Hey, I'm going to build a project buy the lumber, build it, buy the hardware, install it. And then at the end of the project, you get rid of everything mm -hmm. um, that is not used. Now it makes my head hurt and my heart hurt a little bit. <laughs> if you have lumber left over that you're getting rid of, it'd be great if you could just return it. Right. And some mm -hmm. places will let you do that. But you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I like it philosophically in practice in my shop 
I don't know if I can do it, you know, because a, I don't want to go out and buy like I could piece together a project out of a couple projects of worth of scrap, you know, um, same thing with hardware. You know, if it's I'm building a, a box for somebody, I probably have hinges and latches that'll work for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to go out and buy them. So, you know, it's just. You can put together. talk about what? As you say, you could put together like a project kit for somebody else and sell it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was, was going to say, you want to talk about like holding on to every little thing, start wood turning because then it's like everything yeah. becomes useful. It's like, yeah, I can make down, a knob out of that. I down can make pen blanks <laughs> and knobs. Yeah. And like, anything. you know how many pen blanks are in there? I don't care if it's birch. It's just going to look white. I don't care. It's yeah. pen blanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I just, yeah, turn all your drawer knobs and little tiny finials. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, like, a great example is I, I the last couple weeks, was showing some of those turkey calls I was working on. And they're the big discs. And it's a two-part call. You have the, the pot call, the slate, and then you have what's called a striker. It's basically just a dowel that's rounded with a counterweight on the back end. Um, little did I know that length to weight ratio is very uh, delicate on whether that striker will actually work or not. Uh, mm-hmm. But I had some like cast blanks that were... Uh, it was some form of burl that had been cast with resin. So it had cool, like blue marbling throughout it. And I trimmed one of those strikers to length and this little piece popped off and it's sitting on my workbench right now. Cause I'm like, that would make a beautiful little like lightning strike looking knob. I should just throw this stupid thing away. <laughs> but, but when am I going to need to turn a knob? I don't know. I just turned a knob for uh, our bandsaw box episode. Like, right. Uh-huh. You know, when are you going to come across another little tiny piece of wood? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, Super I, I, rare. I know I've, I've told myself that I'm going to start when people come out and buy lumber from me, I'm going to start letting them pick through my scrap wood in my garage for free. Like, <laughs> Hey, like get it out of here. That's how right you draw them have... in. Drawn yeah, with the free yeah, stuff. That's right. and then... So if anybody's listening and needs lumber, you can come buy it from me and I'll fill you up with scrap wood. Mm-hmm. So well, there's sometimes you cool. just sometime you just gotta, you know, clean out the gutters and get rid of it. That's right. So <laughs> Yeah. I think I think that would be easier because it's hard like you find value in all those little pieces, so it's hard to just throw them away. But if if you can give them away to somebody that you know is going to use them it it feels a little bit better it's a little easier to let go so that's probably a good yeah. idea well and if i ever need tiny little pieces of wood we got a shop here full of them right we're always so. making tiny pieces of wood yeah. yeah that's all woodworking is is making big pieces of wood littler yeah yeah that's all well. it is <laughs> or apparently just have to convert to wood heat or something like that or yeah convert it to smoke be... mm-hmm. yeah Tell you what, that was my ultimate plan when I built my house was to do wood heat. Oh yeah, but yeah, it just is in Iowa where we're at. It just isn't worth the investment. So if I was further north, you know, Wisconsin, up where your mm-hmm. parents are, I bet you'd be perfect. Oh yeah, It'd be awesome. But well, yeah. Chris, that's what he does—is wood heat. Mm-hmm. He does. I don't know if he does it in a like a wood stove. I'm guessing he does it in a wood stove. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's wood stove or one of those like external uh, wood furnaces, outside wood boiler or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that he's um, extracting uranium from like the small amounts of uranium from the wood, and he's created a nuclear reactor at his house. And yes, probably would not be surprised. All all. of southern Iowa. Yeah. No, I had, I, that's what I had plumbed my house for was one of those outside wood boilers. So it, sure. it heats up with, with wood and then it recirculates hot water through your furnace into a heat exchanger that then blows it throughout your house. Okay. And I think if I end up putting up a machine shed at my house and heating it, then I think it makes sense. Um, okay. Because you can heat multiple buildings with one of those. Sure. Um, instead of just, you know, a house. So. But if anybody that listens has a wood boiler or an outdoor wood furnace, I would love to hear their opinions on them. I have friends that have them, and they absolutely love them. They'll never go back um, to a gas furnace if they can help it. Um, and, I mean, I work with so many arborists. I think I have a good supply of wood. I mean, it's already chunked up into basically handling size stuff anyways. Um, but it's just the... I think they're about $10,000 to install one. It's just such a long payback if you're only heating one building. So, you know. This episode was derailed by Logan. (laughs) Come on. I had the guinea pig thing. You did. That's true. I started it. Yeah. That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. Would also like to see anybody's shop organizational systems if you're interested in sharing photos. You can email those and I can put them on the show notes page that goes with each of the episodes. It's woodsmith at woodsmith.com for the email address. The weirder, the better. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love looking at uh, people's shop setups. Usually when they send in pictures for reader's tips, we are always yeah. looking in the background and, and we don't really care about sh- yeah. the tip. We just want yeah, to shop. Like, we're just <laughs> right. looking at shops yeah. or if I'm, if I'm walking around uh, town and people have their garages open and working on stuff, I'm kind of like peeking in there. It's like, what are they uh-huh. working on? What's their shop look like? Yeah. You know, so uh, creeper. Yeah. Or whenever you hear like power tools, it's like, yeah, that's a circular saw. Right. I do it with chainsaws. Yeah. Uh-huh. Chainsaw. A tree's chainsaw. coming down. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bull. Somebody's making bull blanks. There's lumber. There's lumber. There's lumber. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, uh, I routinely get spoken to about looking at people's garages when we're out on walks because I don't, I don't know if it's a central Iowa thing, but it's almost like it's written into the state code that like 80% of garage doors are open Mm -hmm. during the day. And quite a few of them at night too, when the weather's nice. It's yeah, oh yeah, kind of crazy. It's like it's our front porch of 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 Iowa, central yeah, Iowa. Yeah. Just, just like go hang out in the garage with the door open. Yeah, and... yeah. We don't we don't have like in the south they have front porches. We don't mm-hmm. really have front porches up here. No, right. So I think John's right. It's like the garage hangout. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny to you know you walk past and you see garages that hold cars, and garages that don't hold cars and yeah. have a variety <laughs> of other things in them, whether it's a workshop or just crammed full of, you know, lawn and garden tools and bikes and mm. sports equipment and stuff like that. So lumber, lumber. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's no. actually a place not that far from me where it was a house that sat on the market for a long time. It's on the corner of two busy-ish roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and now whoever purchased it, the garage is, uh, I don't know, turns into their, their business because they do appliance repair. So whenever oh, I walk gotcha. past with my um, walking the dog, I'll see, you know, the garage door is open and there's a bunch of refrigerators in there other appliances so hmm. kind of interesting but, to see how people use their garages until you found out years later it was actually like a serial killer and not a not appliance repair <laughs> business it was body storage yeah it's like oh, wow okay all right they were such quiet people yeah. <laughs> they brought me chili one day yeah it wasn't it wasn't beef Phil is like the the teacher of the class, and we're like the dis- unruly students. So just trying to der- derail class, change the subject. All right. So one thing I did want to point out: we have a do we have a is it next week we have a guest on the podcast? Yes, we do. All right. Who, can you tell us who it is? Yeah. So and I know it kind of dovetails exactly into what really is the main topic of today's conversation, instead of our. 75 little deer paths that we've wandered down. Uh, Next week on the show, we're going to have Vic Teslin. Uh, He's a woodworker out of Canada. Mm -hmm. So he's written and maintains a blog under the name The Minimalist Workshop or The Minimalist Woodworker. And I think it'll be fun to hear uh, because he's just recently set up a new workshop in a, a house that they bought. And so it'll be interesting to hear him talk about um, how his view on some of these very same things, you know, whether it's tools or storage or organization, shop layout, all that kind of stuff. So he's got a new book coming out, uh, wood, the Minimalist Woodworker Project book, I believe is the title. So we want to take a listen for that. Um, also, being Canadian, uh, we can discuss the metric system, Logan. Yes. And yeah. I bet you he's in Canada. He uses wood heat, right? Like north Maybe. of the border. I'm pretty sure it's law. Like, I think <laughs> we have to. Like, there's three things that happen when you're Canadian. You use the metric system, you use wood heat, and you make maple syrup every year. Right. Yeah. All right. It's my stereotypes for Canadians, eh? Yeah. There you go. So, uh, be sure you tune in for that. Um, also, let's just do a real quick shop roundup as to what we've got working on. Uh, I am still trying to finish that dresser. Mm. It's going to get done. I, I've i made progress because it's all the finish has been applied. The only thing I need to do now is drill for shelf pin holes wow. or shelf pins and then get the, there's like little pullout trays and I want to make some runners for that. Closing yeah. in on it. Good. Okay. My lumber mm-hmm. for my built-ins is still stacked in my garage. Have not touched it because we are back in sawmill and season, baby. I have been out <laughs> cutting wood. And it's been great. Um, the problem is that I'm finding all the sawmill manufacturers are so swamped right now. They're like, if you go to order a new sawmill, it's like a year out. Um, oh, really? 
yeah, like Wood Miser's telling people a year. Uh, Norwood, uh, they just released a new version, so I think they have some inventory, um, but I think they're like 16 weeks out. Oh, wow. Blades are becoming difficult to find. Uh, the guy I order blades from is down in like Arkansas. Or because Tennessee you're hoarding or them all in your garage. <laughs> I, I have a lot of them. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at is I order these blades from a, a place called Jerry's ReSharp. And he gets these particular blades on spools or on coils from um, – they come from England of all places. And he cuts them and welds them to size. But he's out of stock. Hmm. So this makes me start thinking like, hey – I have a huge trash can of death in my garage. Like I have like 80 blades in my garage. They're all just coiled inside this trash can. And I'm like, okay, I could send them out and have them resharpened. That cost me like eight or $9 per blade for the resharpening service. Oh, it's not bad. Um, no, it's not. But then you factor in shipping. Shipping's like 80, 85 bucks for a box of blades. So when you, double that shipping there and shipping back home, um, you end up like spending $19 per blade on average. A new box of blades is $25 per blade. Oh. So you don't really save that much and you're getting brand new blades. But me being the smart person I am, I'm <laughs> thinking maybe I should spend $2,000 on an automatic saw blade sharpener so I can <laughs> sharpen mm -hmm. all my blades and then I don't have to buy new blades. But hmm. I think my wife might kill me if I do that. Yeah. Although, you know, she's a numbers girl. She might, uh, she would understand that I'm saving money in the long term by resharpening my blades. Mm -hmm. But I have not decided yet. So it's either, either I I buy a sharpener, I ship them out, or I just place an order and hope my box of I have eight new blades. Hope those last me for a couple of weeks until somebody gets stock of blades. But I did meet a new friend down the road from me. His name is Bob Reynolds. Uh, he has a Woodmiser sawmill. He's about, well, he's probably about 10 minutes down the road from me. Uh, he had, was talking about buying a sharpener as well. So I'm hoping maybe we can go like have these on a sharpener. Okay. And then, you know, mm -hmm. kind of split it. Because a good, I, I don't want to stand there and hand crank it, which a lot of them are hand cranks. I would rather put a blade in it hit on and let it sharpen the entire blade and I come back in 15 minutes and the blade's done and they sure. shut themselves off. So um, those ones are a little more pricey. So kind of thinking maybe I, there's a lot of guys around. I don't want to get in the saw blade sharpening business though. That's the other thing is I don't want to do that. So, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my, my, I'm more on the front end right now instead of the back end of woodworking. I'm more on the making lumber there you go. instead of making projects. Mm -hmm. So, John, what do you got? Oh, I don't know. We just finished up a bunch of stuff here at the shop. Uh, I'm at home. I'm just kind of working on some odds and ends stuff around the house, trim and handrails. And so nothing project oriented, just kind of. It sounds like around. that's a getting the house ready for market project. Yeah, I'm all, like, like always doing that. But I, I don't know. My wife, <laughs> she's like acts like she's serious about it, but she just likes looking at houses online. <laughs> And just you like, haven't called her bluff yet? Yeah. It's like, she, she'll show me a house online. It's like, call a realtor. Do it. And she just, I mean, doesn't do it. So it's like, maybe she's bluffing. I don't know. But I'm ready. When this all goes down, I'm ready. <laughs> when she right. pulls the trigger. Yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe she, maybe she already bought a house and she just didn't yeah. tell me where she's moving. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. waiting for you to get the projects done. Just like, yeah. Yeah. So. She's, she's ready to get you out of your beginner house 20 years yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> it's our starter house. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Well, I mean, it's going to start feeling bigger soon here once the kids start getting out of the house. So <laughs> it's like, do we need yeah, another house? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, now that I have that cabinet done, it's like, it's like, do we want to move? I mean, yeah. it's pretty nice. So the cabinet and the treehouse. Right. It's like yeah. we got a lot invested this past year. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, wait. it's practically a custom home now. Right. Right. I don't know if anybody can afford it. <laughs> it's too high priced. Price us, price ourselves right out of the market. Yeah. So I'm telling you though, right now would be the time to sell it if you're going to do it. Right. That's the thing. It's like if we put it on the market, it'd be gone in the day, and then where are we going to live? Yeah. So, <laughs> in the garage, probably. Yeah. Rent, mm-hmm. rent the garage back. Proper room. You can go live yep. in the room requirements there, here. There you go. Yeah. They'd never even see us here. Yeah. No. Wouldn't we'd even be know. quiet. Yep. So. All right, I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. As always, you can watch the episodes on our YouTube channel. Don't forget to check out the show notes page at woodsmith.com slash podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you next week on the Shop Notes podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a 1,000 plans covering everything that you'd want to build. Furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.